Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. give a nice, warm Hope Church welcome uh, to Bill Schritt. Can we do that? Thank you, Tom. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but it's great to have an old-time hymn. And uh, flashing on the screen before the service began was uh, one of the people that was influential in my life, John Wesley, as a... uh, Former United Methodist, Wesley uh, was the beginner of, of that denomination. Used to tease my mother-in-law before she passed about many things, but one of the things was that she could remember things 40 50 years in the past and have some problems with a couple days in the past. Now that I'm older, I'm finding that I have that same problem. I remember when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, about 60 years ago, on Saturday mornings, my younger brother and I shared the same bedroom And uh, he liked to sleep in, and I've always been one to to get up early. Give him a little poke, a little nudge, throw a pillow over his head, or or pull the covers off him. Anything to get us started wrestling. Depending on how quiet we did it, we could be going for 10, 15, 20 minutes until one of us fell out of bed or banged against the wall. We would continue until my brother got me in trouble. And then I'd hear from my father how, you're the oldest, you ought to know better. Have any of you firstborns ever heard that? Yeah, I see a few hands there. Greg, you're shaking your head. Your mother gave you that line, huh? I proved my father wrong. Apparently, I didn't know better, because the next week, a little nudge, a little poke, and we'd be at it again. Wrestling's not something that's new. Been around for, for generations, for centuries. The original Greek Olympics, wrestling was a part of that, and that, that goes back 2,500 years It's probably the second most popular event of the Olympics outside of the marathon. And even a thousand years before that, the Bible tells us that Jacob wrestled with God. And that's where we're going to start. From Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. 
After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not, could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, through your word and my faltering words, may we draw closer in our relationship to you. May your Holy Spirit enable us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. This scripture that I just read is the culmination in in Jacob's growth in his relationship with God. But the story begins much earlier than what I just read. We need to go back to before Jacob's birth. For 20 years, his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, lived together. They were married, but they had no children. The three most important women in the book of Genesis Sarah, Abraham's wife, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, and Rachel, one of Jacob's wives, all experienced problems in producing children. And that inability to produce children directly relates to God's promise to to the patriarchs, to to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promise of many descendants. How can God's promise of descendants more numerous than the the stars in the heavens be fulfilled when we have example after example of infertility? How will God's promise of descendants more, more, more than the sands of the seashore, how can that possibly be fulfilled? But God can always overcome the obstacles that are placed in his way. Whenever the challenge is greatest, God is there to enable the individual to rise above the, uh, the, uh, the crisis that is being faced. But God had his work cut out for him in the person of Jacob. Jacob was a wrestler right from the beginning, and he was accustomed to winning. Before God can use a person like Jacob, there needed to be some changes in his life. And there are four stages in the life of Jacob. His need for transformation, 
his preparation for transformation, his transformation, and finally the results of that transformation. First we hear of Jacob, and he's already wrestling, is at his birth. When he's clutching on to, when he is grasping at his older twin brother's heel as, as they emerge into life. This, this grasping of Esau's heel, it's not a friendly gesture or a hearty welcome to, uh, to, as his, they, they, they emerge into life. We see as, as an infant that Jacob is self-centered. The name that's given to him is, is an indication anticipating a, a lifestyle ahead for him that will not be very praiseworthy. Jacob means he grasps the heel, which for the Hebrew figuratively means he deceives. And does he ever use people? He, t- he takes advantage of his brother Esau's hunger when he, when he bargains with his brother over Esau's birthright and some food. A cup of stew and and some bread become a bargaining tool. And Jacob comes out ahead. Esau might be the, the skillful hunter, but Jacob is the skillful opportunist. Esau is glad to trade away his birthright to satisfy his hunger, and Jacob is more than willing to oblige him. To exploit one's brother is bad enough. But next we see Jacob stooping even lower by deliberately deceiving his own father who by this time seems to be senile and and blind. None of us would ever do that, would we? Maybe a neighbor, someone we don't know very well, but not our own father. But then Rebecca, his own mother, she's not much of a saint in all this. She is the one who initiates the the scheme of Jacob dressing up as Esau to deceive her husband. Once Jacob was the the aggressive initiator, now he is the follower. Isaac now becomes the one who is deceived. Rebekah takes it even further and has Isaac bless Jacob as they send him on his way to, to find a wife in Haran, her hometown, in order to save him from... Esau's revenge. Beginning to sound a little like a soap opera, isn't it? Dysfunctional families are not a modern phenomena. Jacob is definitely in need of a transformation. He is conformed to this world where he's concerned only for himself how he can get ahead. He'll steal, he'll he'll deceive his own father. Can God use a person like that? Not in the condition that Jacob's in. These episodes in Jacob's life are not meant to put a premium on deceit. Ethically, we have to question Jacob's behavior and maybe even question God. As to whether this is the right person to carry on God's plan for salvation. We have here the classic example of the person who takes God's will into their own hands. 
Jacob was predestined to to surpass his brother, but that doesn't give him the right to, to exploit Esau and manipulate his own father. Can this ancient story touch our lives? Are there any here this morning who who would rather do things their own way? To take advantage of a situation? To exploit someone else? Maybe you're in need of a transformation. Somewhere, sometime in our lives, all of us need it. There's a little bit of Jacob in all of us. Maybe not quite as noticeable, but it is there. We need need to be transformed, but there needs to be preparation for that transformation. What was the preparation that, that God brought about in the life of Jacob? When we are first introduced to, to Abraham in, in Genesis, the Bible reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, God speaks to him. But before God enters the picture in Jacob's life, many things take place. Throughout the story of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, God doesn't speak. But all that changes at Bethel. For the first time, God confronts Jacob in a dream. When Jacob wakes up, his response is quite unusual. He is afraid. Afraid of God. Later, he's going to be afraid of Laban and Esau. Now, now what makes this response so unusual is, is that it is the opposite of Abraham and Isaac's response when they are confronted by God or God's angels. Abraham and Isaac greeted them. However, in Genesis, we can find another instance when when a person is afraid of God. Adam said, I heard you, Lord, in the garden, and I was afraid. It is fear. Fear brought on by a guilty conscience. Fear standing in, in front of a holy God, knowing that they have sinned. What would your reaction be if you were to meet God face to face? Is Abraham and Isaac a greeting? Or is Adam and Jacob fear because of a guilty conscience? If you remember the story at Bethel, notice God doesn't condemn Jacob. God doesn't give him a lecture. God doesn't berate Jacob. Jacob found in his encounter with God the gift of divine friendship. He was all alone in the wilderness, and God came to him. God visited him. He found the grace of divine forgiveness. The guilt in in Jacob's life was heavier than the stone that he used for a pillow, but God forgave him. He found the goal of divine purpose. He received the same promise given to Abraham and Isaac, and he's now to carry on God's plan for salvation. In Jacob's preparation for transformation, God, first of all, showed Jacob himself. Now he's going to show Jacob himself. And it's not a very pretty picture. God's plan is to let Jacob spend the next 20 years of his life living with a person whose personality is much the same as his own. 
Uncle Laban. At first, Laban is the gracious host who desires that his nephew become his son-in-law. But the perpetrator of deceit, Jacob, is about to become the victim of deceit at the hands of Laban. Jacob's going to see himself and his uncle. On the wedding night, the unsuspecting Jacob discovers that, that Laban has used bait-and-switch scheme. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, the, the youngest of Laban's daughters. And he worked seven years for that right. But he finds that he was deceived when he, he finds that he has slept with her older sister, Leah, on his wedding night. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Through the trick of Laban, the third and fourth children, mothered by Leah and, and fathered by Jacob, are Levi and Judah. And from Levi come the lines of, of the Jewish priests. From Judah comes one of the lines of the kings, the line of David, and eventually Jesus himself. Two of the most significant institutions of the Old Testament come out of an unwanted marriage. But Jacob, not to be outdone, comes up with a plan of deception of his own when it comes time for him to go back to Canaan. He will take the best of Laban's flocks of sheep with him. And he tells his wives, Leah and, and Rachel, God has taken away the cattle of your, your father and, and given them to me. See how God has blessed me? Has God truly blessed Jacob? Or is Jacob again using God? And now the final step in the preparation. Time doesn't heal broken relationships. Many times it intensifies them. Hurts die slowly. 20 years have passed and Esau still resents Jacob. At least Jacob thinks so. Jacob comes up with another plan. Still not putting his full trust in God. Still not sure whether God will get him safely back to his homeland. First, he, he sends an advanced mission to, to check on Esau's feelings. Then he has a plan to avoid total destruction at the hands of, of, of Esau. Then, then a, a prayer of desperation with no real sign of repentance. Finally, Jacob attempts to buy Esau's forgiveness. Who is it that Jacob really needs to meet? Esau or God? Before we can be transformed, we need to realize our need for transformation. And God has to prepare us for that transformation. My preparation for transformation came just after we had our first son, Greg. At the time, I was working in retail and we were making do. I had many questions about the faith that I was brought up in. Was I to bring up Greg as, as a Christian? Not really sure if I believed in a God. I had to search. In a sense, I had to wrestle with God. 
God revealed himself to me. There was no Jacob's ladder. There, there was no bright lights. Just an inner assurance that God is. We all need a crisis to bring us to or prepare us for our transformation. To be the person that, that God knows us to be. For Jacob, this was going to be a second meeting with God. 20 years after the first. Jacob is not the seeker. He is the one who is being sought. And that's the way it is. We don't go seeking God. God seeks us. God, in the form of a man, starts a wrestling match with Jacob. One that lasts through the night, almost until dawn. Remember the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus in the, the Gospel of, of John, chapter 3? That also took place at night. Nicodemus tries to defend himself, but Jesus verbally wrestled with him until he broke through Nicodemus' defenses. In a sense, God wrestles with each and every one of us, trying to break through our defenses, trying to win us for the kingdom of God. As Jacob responds to the, the transformation, God's spirit is working in him. And we see three distinguishing characteristics that differ from before Jacob's supernatural encounter with the living God. First, Jacob is now conscious of his weakness. His, his thigh was put out of joint as, as he wrestled with God. The champion in his wrestling with Esau and Isaac and Laban is now the victim, not wrestling, but clinging. Second, we see Jacob having a consuming hunger for God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The blessing that he deceived out of Isaac, his, his father, is meaningless unless he has the blessing now of God. Third, we finally hear a confession of unworthiness. God asks him, what is your name? He responds, Jacob. And that's been his problem all along. The name Jacob is what he was a deceiver, and he lived up to his name. Jacob responds to the transformation, and the results are startling. As we see many times in Scripture, Jacob's given a new name. That new name is given because of the transformation in his personality, and especially in his relationship with God. He has been born anew. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men, and you have overcome. Our parents have given us our names at birth. But what's the name that God wants to call you by? When we respond to God, God changes our name along with the change in our personalities. God also gives us a new power. A power that comes from him. The gift of God's Holy Spirit enables us to be the person God intends for us to be. Transformed into God's own image. And we also receive a blessing from God. 
We have a testimony to offer of of God's work in our lives. What is your testimony? Jacob's was, I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The transformation also results in a new day. The sun rose upon him. Because of our transformation, we begin a new day. A fresh start in our lives as Christians. All that is past has been wiped out, forgiven by Christ who died for us on the, the cross of Calvary. As the Apostle Paul writes, we are new creatures. We are a new creation, born into the family of God. Final result is a lifelong reminder of Jacob's weakness. Limping because of his hip. That's when we'll be the strongest. When we realize our own weakness and rely on God's strength. That was Jacob's transformation. When Jesus talked with Nicodemus, he referred to it as being born again, born anew, born from above. Paul reminds us in his his letter to the church at Rome that we are no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. For us to be a part of God's kingdom, it needs to take place. Unless a person is born again, they will not see the kingdom of God. For many of you, that has already taken place. Maybe as a child or a young adult. Maybe there was a a, a sudden bright light or or like Jacob. It took place over a, a number of years. For others of you, it has not taken place. God still wants to work a transformation in your life. Open yourselves up to God's leading. Let God prepare you for that transformation. We need to wrestle with God. God can transform you with the same results as Jacob, or in this case, as Israel. Have you been transformed? Have you been born again? God is seeking you. I close with these words from Simone Weil, the French mystic in her book, Waiting for God. One can never wrestle enough with God if one does so out of pure regard for the truth. Lord, I feel that there are some here today who are wrestling with you, not quite ready to give up control of their lives, still wanting to conform to the world. We know that you will never give up on them. May they hear your still small voice calling them into your family, into your kingdom. Amen.